there are moments in life that are so special that you have to capture them and save them forever. They are one of those once-in-a-lifetime events, like your baby's first steps, the first time you bring your family pet home, or your daughter's first dance performance. With iPhone 15 Pro, more storage means you don't have to delete anything that can become a lasting memory one day. And it's important to be able to share these moments with family members who weren't there to see them in person. Store more, share more. Connect with iPhone 15 Pro on AT&T. Get iPhone 15 Pro on AT&T and get an iPad and Apple Watch for 99 cents per month each. AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Limited time offer. Requires 0% APR 36-month agreement on each. Well-qualified customers. Other terms and restrictions apply. See att.com slash iPhone for details. This Father's Day, the Home Depot has the perfect gift to help dad be everything he can be. Because your dad is more than just a dad. He's the groundskeeper of the yard, the perfecter of the patio, and the cleaner of the clippings. This Father's Day, power dad's doing with the convenience and gas-like power of Milwaukee cordless outdoor tools from the Home Depot. Plus, get up to $150 off select Milwaukee tools. Find the perfect Father's Day gift at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. Shop for Father's Day now in stores or online at homedepot.com. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. So season one of Unpopular is over. I hope that you've listened to the entire season and also have enjoyed the entire season. If you haven't, feel free to go back and listen to all the episodes and let us know what you think about them. But in the meantime, before season two launches... We're going to have a few conversations with people who I think that you would really love to hear from. Today's bonus interview is going to be with Dr. Rebecca Hall, who has done a lot of research on women who led slave revolts. Women often get left out of the conversation of slave revolts, and I think her research and her work is really awesome and really relevant to the topic of resistance and people who have been forgotten and the legacies of those people and what we can learn from them. So we're going to do things a little bit differently today. I'm going to get off my lonely solo soapbox to have a conversation with Dr. Rebecca Hall, and I hope you enjoy it. Here we go. My name is Dr. Rebecca Hall. Rebecca is R-E-B-E-C-C-A, last name Hall, H-A-L-L. I'm a JD PhD, um, meaning I have a law degree and a PhD because I wanted all the student debt. <laughs> um, I got my JD from Berkeley in 1989 and practiced law for eight years. Uh, I worked with homeless families and did tenants' rights work and then went on to uh, go back and get my PhD to study history of race and gender. So how would you define slave revolt? Yeah, so that's a very interesting question to start with. Um, I, people, historians, you know, who study slave revolt uh, use different definitions depending on sort of almost kind of like what work they want the term to use, the term to do. So, you know, there's slave resistance where, where slaves are fighting back against 
either, you know, their specific situation or against slavery generally. For, for you know, there, there are historians who believe that slave resistance is not a, a full revolt unless it's trying to bring down the entire institution of slavery. Uh, some people have definitions that a slave revolt has to involve, you know, a certain number of people has to have a you know, a certain type of coverage or documentation in the press at the time. Um, my definition uh, is any coordinated act of violent resistance against uh, slavery orders or uh, slave specific slaveholders. And the reason why I define it like that is because, as we'll get into, women are written out of the history of being involved in slave revolts. Um, and uh, one of the things that keeps coming up is that, you know, women aren't involved in violent acts of resistance. They're coordinated violent acts of resistance. So I use the term uh, that is specifically, that historians specifically use to exclude women, say that, okay, this I'm going to look for this particular type of, of slave resistance and show that women are involved in it. So I, I'll say that one reason that I I came to, came to your work and was just, you know, really interested in this topic that we'll, we're talking about today, women who led slave revolts, is because I was like, for you know obvious reasons, turning to slave revolts as things as acts that people used as resistance in terms of terms of challenging the status quo that was slavery, and a lot of those people had, you know, very very interesting stories and, you know, resisted in different ways, even within the practice of slave revolts. And mm-hmm. I realized that I was just, where are the women? Like, you know, in cursory searches, definitely there are no women that really pop up. And when they do pop up, it's kind of like, this is the same story that's told over and over. What's the deeper, what's the deeper story here? What are the beginnings of the story? And what did they actually mm-hmm. do? And, you know, the story is just kind of a surface. Look at these, you know, amazing women who did this, but doesn't really allow a person who's just jumping into that search, who's maybe not a historian or a researcher to learn more about them. And that was just, I knew that that wasn't, I knew that that was a a measured absence. It wasn't just because women right, right, were right. silent. And right. I would love to know what got you into researching women who led slave revolts. Okay, yeah. So I've always been interested in the issue of slave resistance and slave revolts, and by always, I mean since I was a child. I think, you know, I had, my parents were were radical activists, and, you know, any group of people, any uh, any oppressed group of people, getting having access to, to the history of how we fought back is, is crucial, because it tends to be silenced on purpose, and it's also important for our basic psychological makeup, you know, like I think of, you know, you know, people like, you know, Kanye West or whatever it is. Well, they must have consented to slavery. I mean, he didn't say it this articulately, but because, you know, they didn't fight back or, <laughs> right. um, and, and, you know, and, and in fact, you know, there were hundreds of slave revolts in the United States. Um, and, uh, and it's, it, and the history of slave revolt in specific um, 
like it it was actively erased by historians. So I think it's important for, for me to answer your question to talk a little bit about what happened with the history of slavery revolt generally, and then talk about how its recovery actually then erased women um, uh, participation in it. Is it okay if I if I go in there? Yes, that's fine. With that question, okay, yeah. So so you know the first you know historians of slavery were people who supported slavery and said you know slaves didn't resist to, to slavery and. The, because, you know, the institution was benign and necessary for black people in order to attain their culture. And that's why there's no uh, slave revolts that happened in the United States. You know, and, and it's, hard to, it's hard to ignore the ones like Haiti or some of the huge ones in South America. And so uh, these historians were saying, well, slavery was harsher there, but here we had it right. It was good, you know. And um, that was how slavery, slave resistance um, in general, the slave revolt was taught, you know, all the way up through the through the 1950s in this country, and then you started to get um, some historians, especially after World War II, um, with making comparisons and saying, well, there weren't slave revolts in the United States because, like in concentration camps, slavery was such a horrible institution. It's what they would say, such a totalizing institution that it was impossible to resist slavery, um, just like in concentration camps. But, of course, that's not true for concentration camps either, but that's mm-hmm. another episode. <laughs> um, and then, you know, in the 60s and early 70s, you start getting African-Americans, primarily men, um, involved in academia and the rise of black studies, also in the context of sort of, you know, the civil rights movement. and 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 the, and these historians start saying, wait a minute, there actually were plenty of slave revolts. Look at all this evidence for them. Um, but at the same time they were saying that, you know, there's this big sort of cultural uh, background issue that, you know, still exists to this day is the idea that the black family's uh, problem with black people and why black people don't succeed is because their family's dysfunctional, their men are emasculated, that women are matriarchs. This happened in slavery. This will never be um, changed until the black family gets its its act together and its gender roles correct, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and this is the whole dysfunctional black family thesis, right? And then you have you know, Angela Davis um, writing an article on black women in the community of slaves while she's actually in prison, asking scholars, how can you say that women had the power in slavery. This doesn't make any sense, right? But um, so, but in in response to this pushback, you know, you have everything from like activists, black activists like Stokely Carmichael saying when being asked, you know, what's the position of black women in the liberation struggle? And he responds, prone, you know, uh, to uh, black male historians writing these books on recovering the history of slave revolt mm-hmm. and repeatedly saying, but women weren't involved in this. Right. Women didn't do this because they pr- performed their gender roles correctly. Um, and men were manly. And so there's this like huge pushback happening, right? And so then, you know, you get in the 70s and 80s, you get a rise of, of, of feminist historians, you know, women, of black and white, no, all. Uh, and they were saying, okay, all right, so if women didn't figure prominently in, slave revolt, 
they were very in, figured prominently in slave resistance generally. So, but their acts were more individual, less violent, you know, uh, but and also possibly more effective, right? So trying to 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 highlight resistance on a broad scale, uh, which is always a good thing, right? You know, um, but they never went back and questioned the fundamental assumption about women and their and, and so when I got into graduate school and I wanted to uh, study slave revolts and slave resistance, and I kept seeing these. You know, every book I picked up, like, it'll be like, okay, it's going to be, you know, in the first, within the first 30 pages, there's going to be some statement about how women didn't do this, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I was like, this is, this, there's something wrong about this. Mm-hmm. So everything I just told you, this is what I ended up learning, right? Um, and, and I was like, I bet there are women involved, and this is what I want to do my dissertation research on. And my dissertation advisor is like, well, even if that's true, you're not going to find the records. There's mm-hmm. not going to be sources. And so, so but that's what someone needs to do is just tell me I can't do something. <laughs> so then I started, and I started finding women all over the primary sources. And so that became my work, um, my dissertation, that, and my PhD. I have published academic articles about it, and I have a forthcoming graphic novel about it um, where, that I write and that's being illustrated by an artist. Is about what I, you know, about the story of how this history was sort of buried and why and how to uncover it, what the process uh, a person needs to go through to actually uncover and, and sort of recover the, like, these stories of women in the archives, you know, who fought and died leading slave revolts and participating in slave revolts. So, who are some of those women who, who fought in slave revolts? So I think it's important for me to kind of situate myself as a historian. Like we get, you have to specialize on a, in a time period and place. And my, my, my focus is British America in the 18th century, right? I mean, that's how specific you need to focus. Um, There are women, um, like if you study, you know, in Latin America and uh, there, there are women named in, and some of some of the revolts that happened in Cuba, I'm, I don't have the names off the top of my head. Um, but here in in what became the United States, um, I've done a lot of my research on two revolts in, in colonial New York, one in 1708, which I am which I'm the one who uncovered, and then at 1712, a revolt in 1712. So the 1708 revolt. Um, there were four slaves executed for killing um, a family of slaveholders, um, and uh, they were prevented from killing others. And the woman, the three men involved were hung, and the woman was burned at the stake. Um, Her name was never recorded. He was referred to as the Negro Wench or the Negro Fiend. And I spent a year trying to find her name. Yeah. And it may never, we never, it may be that we never find it. Mm-hmm. Um, there was, there was actually a trial. And if there was a trial, there was a court record. But I've been told um, at s- several archives throughout New York that, that 
that that record, those records were destroyed in, in a fire. There was a bunch of the big fire in New York that destroyed a lot of of its historical records. I still haven't given up. There's a couple leads I can still track down, but I looked for her name here in New York and also um, in England because it was the English colony at the time. In 1712, there were four women whose names are in the court record for that revolt. Um, Sarah, Abigail, Amba, and Lily. Um, Two of those women were convicted, uh, Sarah and Abigail, and two, Lily and Amba, were were acquitted. Um, The two who were convicted uh, were sentenced to death. And one of those women, and it's not clear in the court records uh, which one, whether it was Sarah or Abigail, had her execution stayed because she was pregnant. Um, this was done not because out of sort of any kindness to the mother. It's because someone owns that baby. Right. Um, and um, and it, then there's a lot of correspondence between the colonial governor of New York at the time and Queen Anne's Privy Council. He's requesting a pardon for her, um, saying, you know, she's given birth. She's been in the jail. You know, her condition's in a woeful state. Um, but he never received his permission for the pardon. And it's never mentioned whether it was Sarah or Abigail. Um, so uh, these are these are the kind of minefields you come across researching slavery in general, but particularly when you try to research, you know, when you're going back this far, you know. And, uh, you know, this isn't an antebellum period. This is early during the establishment of slavery. Um, and um, there were three other women unnamed who committed suicide before capture. And there's, there's, it's, a, it's, it's an interesting thing, which will be talked about more in the graphic novel, um, but, you, but it can be traced by the names of the slaves. Of, of, there were, I think, 21 tried altogether. Amba is a is an Akan name, uh, Akan speaking language from what is now Ghana, and a large percentage of the slaves involved were Akan speaking. Um, and there's been really sort of a lot of documentation of methods and types of resistance of of people in the Akan diaspora. So from that information and could contrast with colonial records. I was able to discover like the kind of oath that they took in preparation for um, the revolt, um, and the also the the um, incentive to either win the fight, die in the fight, or kill yourself or commit suicide, mm. um, because you, not just because you don't want to be captured, tortured, and killed. There's that, but also because if if that happens, if you die in the fight. Or, or kill yourself before capture. You, you, you join the ancestral plane, mm-hmm. um, and can continue the fight. So those are those are some names, and, uh, and I have more information about those those people. But again, it's it's a little tricky because I don't, I'm not exactly sure what happened to which one of them. You know, um, I, I'm I, my educated guess. I mean, one was definitely executed immediately after the revolt. And um, 
because only the queen could, could issue a pardon, and it never came, um, I'm assuming that she was executed. Um, but the queen, Queen Anne, died um, before responding to letters, and there was a new king, and the governor got reassigned, and then the record just falls silent. We'll be back with more conversation with Dr. Rebecca Hall soon, but we're going to take a quick break. Spectrum One is a big deal. You get Spectrum Internet with the most reliable internet speeds, free advanced Wi-Fi for enhanced security and privacy, and a free Spectrum Mobile Unlimited line with nationwide 5G included, all while saving big. For the big speed, big reliability, and big savings you want, get Spectrum One. Just $49.99 a month for 12 months. Visit spectrum.com slash big deal for full details. Offer subject to change. Valid for qualified residential customers only. Service not available in all areas. Restrictions apply. Had enough of those supplements that leave you feeling nothing? Symbiotica is your solution to great-tasting all-natural supplements that actually work. Crafted with premium plant-based ingredients, their products have no seed oils, fillers, or artificial nonsense. It's just pure goodness in every pouch. Try them out and actually feel the difference today. Visit Symbiotica.com and use code IHEART for 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Again, that's 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Go to Symbiotica.com. That's C-Y-M-B-I-O-T-I-K-A.com. The best things in life, they come in twos. Two scoops of ice cream, two tacos. And now for a limited time, get our best deal of the year. Buy any phone when you switch to Consumer Cellular and get two months of service free. That's right, the same fast, reliable nationwide coverage as Big Wireless, now with two months free. Proof the best things in life really do come in twos. Visit ConsumerCellular.com or call 1-888-FREEDOM. Second and third month of monthly base service fee waived for new customers with the purchase of a phone and activation by July 31st, 2024. Taxes, fees, and third-party charges will apply. See website for additional details. In the work that you do uh, of re, kind of re, reclaiming the history and the memory of people and really uncovering stories that haven't, you know, seen, seen much light, if any at all, um, and also how you talked about, you know, this women in slavery's revolts have, for several reasons have been excluded. There's a mention in your work of an event called Celia's Conspiracy. Mm-hmm. And one thing that I'm very interested in is language. And you talk about... You, in my uh, article, you mean? In your article, yes. Yes, yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. And you and you talk about how you specifically choose, because Celia wasn't mentioned, but she was mentioned as being someone who was instrumental in the event. And exactly. labeling it Celia's conspiracy very intentionally to put her name up front at the top of that the 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 naming of it. So what is exactly. this the significance? Can you can you talk can you tell me about your feelings about the significance of naming and using language when it comes to reclaiming women's stories when it came to resistance and slave revolts? Sure, absolutely. Okay. So um you know, we've already talked about how women's involvement in revolt and we definitely should talk about slave ship revolts too. Uh but uh but that, that that women were involved in and led slave revolts and that act and the different ways and reasons why that was erased. One of the things is that if you know the historian goes to the record, assuming that this is not something women did, then they're they're never going to name a slave revolt 
after the women involved. So, so many slave revolts are named after who uh, people at the time decided was a leader or who historians subsequently decided was a leader. You know, the Denmark Desi revolt, the Nat Turner revolt, you know, they're named after specific men. And in this revolt that you're referring to, you know, there's a detailed interrogation of one of the enslaved men involved in the revolt where he talks about this woman, Celia, and how he had inspired this revolt and planned it. But they don't ask, the interrogators at the time don't ask any questions. They don't ask any more questions about this woman who decided the time, decided, you know, organized it. And so that's just the the kind of silencing that, that happens, both at the time because of gender assumptions and also by subsequent um, silencing by current historians because of their gendered assumptions. You mentioned slave ship revolts. Yeah. What? Okay. So, go ahead. No, I was just going to ask what 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 was it that is you know so compelling about slave ship revolts? Okay. Well, first of all, this is really um, this is I think a very important issue in the history or historiography of slavery in general, slave resistance in specific. For a long time, historians thought that revolts on slave ships were very rare, um, mainly because it, um, it was basically suicidal. You know, if you're in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean and, you know, you don't come from a culture that's technology that knows how to, you know, operate ships or whatever, your, your best case scenario is, you know, you're going to die and take the white people who are enslaving you with you. Um, so people thought, yeah, it's just, it didn't happen very often. But then with the rise of sort of digital capacity and digital humanities, historians all over the world who are studying the Atlantic slave trade, you know, we're talking about hundreds and thousands of slave ships, were pulling their information into a centralized database. And in the 90s, uh, you know, it was set up so that you could actually query the database. And what they found out was that, one, there was a slave ship revolt on one in 10 voyages, which was really shocking. And I'm not an economic historian, but it had a really big impact on, for example, costs associated with the trade. There's analyses that show that it prevented others from being traded. It made the cost, you know... Um, because of the costs and the issues involved. Um, but I have done a lot of reading about issues of prevention uh, about slave ship revolts. But, um, the other, but then when these, they're called quantitative historians, you know, when they looked at the data and they wanted to say, okay, why would there be a revolt on one ship and not another? Like, what's the you know, big difference between the two ships, types of ships, that, you know, where there's a revolt? And the number one difference was that on the ships where there were more revolts, there were more women. And the historians seeing that, you know, specifically said, but we know women weren't involved in this type of organized, violent, active resistance. So this must be like a statistical fluke. Mm -hmm. Um, But when, when I, uh, you know, was in England going through hundreds and hundreds of slave ship captain logs and, 
ship surgeons' logs that you know describe and then insurance reports that document this, it, it becomes very clear. Like in England, the, the practice was that women were once the, the ship had left the African coast, uh, while on the coast, everybody was chained below deck um, because there was a fear of what they called cutoffs, where people from Africa would come and attack the ship and free the enslaved people on it. Once the ship was in the Atlantic and away from the possibility of cutoff, um, women were kept on deck and unchanged. Um, and for some pretty you know, nefarious reasons, uh, you know, in terms of crew having access to women, um, et cetera, mm-hmm. but also because there was a thought that, you know, these women aren't really a danger, but that's also where the weapons were kept. And so you you can see, and, you know, captains reports repeatedly things like, uh, you know, anything from, uh, we had a, a third revolt, you know, and, uh, but we keep checking the men's chains and we don't understand um, how these people, you know, are being killed or, you know, the women, or they'll actually mention the women, like the women got hold of the weapons and, or freed men below or, or women were the ones who did the entire revolt. Um, And this is, I think this is a really important story about slave ship revolts and resistance. And that, you know, that has just been erased, both in the ways, again, the way people documented things at the time and the way historians later looked at the records. There's this amazing um, book written by a Michelle Shurio, he's a, a Haitian historian called Silencing the Past. Um, and he, he looks at this sort of back and forth process of how records are how what what's documented impacts how we understand. You know, it's easy to say, oh, history's written by the victors, but that's a generalized statement that doesn't tell us very much. You know, we have to understand the ways in which people are written out if we're going to recover them. He gives an example, which I thought was really useful, of, of you know, silencing that happens in the, in the actual chronicling of an event. Now, you think somebody's chronicling events, that they're getting everything down, you know, and his example is like, okay, a baseball game. You go to a baseball game. I don't go to a baseball game. I find them <laughs> deadly boring. But anyway, you go to a baseball game, and you've got the, the, the sportscaster person who's announcing, like, the person that's bad, and there's uh-huh. a second run, and the whatever, whatever. they you know. But they're not talking about how many hot dogs were sold in the stands, right? Right. Because it's irrelevant. It's irrelevant. And so, similarly, you know, if you can't see that women are capable of violent acts of you know, resistance, mm-hmm. you're not recording them. Exactly. You know? Yeah. And and you know, and and you know, the assumptions that are made, I mean, a, a lot of these a lot of the cultures from which people were treated had quite developed female martial traditions. You know, so the idea that suddenly women who come from cultures where they they in fact uh, you know fight as soldiers or um or regularly defended their villages or whatever, you know, are suddenly like stereotypes of European women who, you know, wouldn't do that. Again, those are stereotypes. So there's a lot, sort of, a lot of pieces at work, um, a lot of moving parts. Let's take a short break, and we'll be back with Dr. Rebecca Hall 
afterward. Spectrum One is a big deal. You get Spectrum Internet with the most reliable internet speeds, free advanced Wi-Fi for enhanced security and privacy, and a free Spectrum Mobile Unlimited line with nationwide 5G included, all while saving big. For the big speed, big reliability, and big savings you want, get Spectrum One. Just $49.99 a month for 12 months. Visit spectrum.com slash big deal for full details. Offer subject to change. Valid for qualified residential customers only. Service not available in all areas. Restrictions apply. Had enough of those supplements that leave you feeling nothing? Symbionica is your solution to great-tasting, all-natural supplements that actually work. Crafted with premium plant-based ingredients, their products have no seed oils, fillers, or toxins. Try them out and actually feel the difference today. Visit Symbionica.com and use code IHEART for 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Again, that's 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Go to Symbionica.com. C-Y-M-B-I-O. TIKA.com. This Father's Day, shop at the Home Depot to find the perfect gift to help dad be everything he can be. Because your dad is more than just a dad. He's groundskeeper of the yard, the perfecter of the patio, and the cleaner of the clippings. He's the weed fighting, hedge trimming, leaf blowing lord of the lawn. He sees the job and he gets it done. Because your dad is a doer. So show him you appreciate everything he does with the tools he needs to power up his landscaping game. This Father's Day, give him the convenience and gas-like power of innovative and durable Milwaukee cordless outdoor tools from the Home Depot. Plus, get up to $150 off select Milwaukee tools. For everything Dad does, everything he is, and everything he can be, find the perfect Father's Day gift at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. Shop for Father's Day now in stores or online at homedepot.com. It's already a lot of people who are, there's historical revisionism or, you know, negating things that happened in the past. Like, it's already hard for a lot of Americans to come to terms with the fact that slavery happened and it has consequences And just you pointing out, well, even within the history that's written and that's told in, you know, you know, people calling slaves wage laborers or whatever it was they called in that that U.S. textbook. That's already what people are learning today. And the fact that you're saying that, you know, things even the history that is written is also very there's a lot of nuance to it where it's like there are a lot of things that were left out. So it just seems like. Getting mm-hmm. people to go even beyond, you know, the the negating that they're doing of history that actually happened to understand that history happened. But there's also even what's written, you know, may seem solid and may seem like it's written. So that's what happened. Like, no, there's even a layer beyond that that we have to discover right. who people like you are uncovering these types of things. It it just makes right. me I try not to be too cynical or too, you know, pessimistic about mm-hmm. it. But it, when I when I see that people are, you know, denying things like the Holocaust that have uh, histories that are that you you really can't deny, but are being denied. Right, right, um, right. And I, it, it makes me feel a little bit, you know, discouraged sometimes. But you know, I mm-hmm. it's really good to know, you know, that I can, you know, speak to people like you who are constantly uncovering mm-hmm. things. That makes me feel a lot better. So that's that's just my own person, <laughs> my own personal, right. you know, feelings, um, uh, and just kind of 
fear, you know, of like how we look back at history and, and how we continue to learn about history and realize what we that we were wrong and that we can change and that things change. Um, right. That's right. That's that's my personal feelings. <laughs> yeah, no, I get it. And when I present this work, I've been doing a lot of presenting of the work outside of sort of academic circles since becoming since getting involved in the graphic novel writing process. And I, I see how strong, what a strong emotional impact it has on people, on African-Americans in particular, um, how empowering they find this work. And it reminds me, you know, yeah, it's not just me. It's not just some weird thing I'm interested in. This is something really important, you know. Mm-hmm. And and I have, you know, also taught high school. Um, and the way, the way slavery and the slave trade is taught is itself a crime. It, you know, it's just horrific. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've seen, I've seen, um, you know, where people, you know, usually like I would go to an event and be like, okay, can someone raise your hand if you, you know, know of a slave revolt? And, you know, a couple of hands will go up, you know, like uh, maybe Nat Turner, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's People don't, they, they, they just, you know, History is a dangerous thing, and um, and it's it's not taught. I mean, and so you know, I'm hoping you uh, to be able to intervene in that, you know, by uh, using this graphic novel format and being able to, you know, get this book, um, you know, because it's got picked up by a major publisher by Simon and Schuster, um, but you know, being able to get this something that can be assigned you know, in colleges and high schools as well. Um, and, you know, I don't know if you followed the blowback that's happened since the, the New York Times 1519 yes. stories. But, I mean, like... The, yeah. The, the, <laughs> it's incredible. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's just, the people just, they don't want to, I mean, they, you know, uh-huh. conservative centrists, they don't want to hear it. Uh-huh. They, you know... So uh, speaking of yeah. speaking of the 1619 project, I would like to know how your experience, you know, you're you're immersed in these stories of slave revolt and resistance and black resistance in history. But at the same time, you know, we're constantly creating stories of black resistance and revolt. And how how is it for you to do that research? Uh, is there anything that comes up in in and you when you're doing that research and also interacting with the world and in a, in the United States that's constantly embroiled in, you know, race issues and um, resistance and dissent. Um, let me make sure I'm understanding your question. Um, it, it, like, what is it like for me as a historian researching what I research in the context of a, of a country in denial? Is that what you're saying? Ex- exactly. <laughs> yes. Okay. We'll go with that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, I mean, I think that this is this is a this is a fight. This is this is the fight. Um, the, the, this country is ill. It is, and you know, it is bordering on terminally ill. And you know, it it's sickness is racism. And you know, I mean, racial capitalism. And we could go into a bunch of stuff. But there's never been um, any kind of Truth or reconciliation process in this country. Um, no, no, you know, there's been no, and 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 we people we have to as a country be able to come to terms with our history, um, or or we're not going to make it. 
you know. Um, and the idea that, you know, slavery, you know, is irrelevant historically or happened so long ago. I mean, you know, my paternal grandparents were born slaves, uh, and I'm 56. Um, that's not very unusual, but that it was physically possible. Mm-hmm. So my dad was like in his mid sixties when I was born and he was born in the youngest child of in 1898. And wow. my grandmother was born in 1861 and my grandfather was born in 1860. Um, the fact that it's even physically possible for it to be two generations removed shows yeah. that this happened just a second ago, mm. you know, and our country, um, need at at minimum a truth and reconciliation process in order to sort of move forward and heal. Uh, I mean, if, if we don't understand these formative parts of, of, of who we are, you know, American slavery and its after effects, Native American genocide, these kind of things, then we don't understand what's going on around us and don't know how to address it. Yes. That's so true. it is the work. Very true. Is there anything else you would like to add about slave revolts or resistance or anything else that came up that you would be interested in talking about? I can't think of anything off the top of my head. Okay. Um, definitely, um, I tried to update my website. So I would definitely like to refer people to my website that has information on the ongoing progress of the graphic novel as well as a, uh, a link to um, scholarly articles published on the topic, um, and that is rebhallphd.org, and, uh, and you can also follow me on Twitter, at Wake Revolt. Thanks for listening to the interview. We'll be back with another conversation very soon, so stay tuned for that. If you want to give us a shout and let us know what you thought about today's interview, you can do that by email at unpopular at iheartmedia.com, or you can hit us up on social media. We're on Twitter at underscore unpopular show. We're on Instagram at unpopular show. And we're on Facebook at this is unpopular. So let us know what you think. And we'll be back soon. Bye. of restless nights at lisa we know good sleep is essential for mental physical and emotional health from memory foam mattresses to hybrids that keep you cool all night long lisa's mattresses offer exceptional comfort and support with free delivery and 100 nights to try out your mattress in the comfort of your home for a limited time save up to 700 off select mattresses plus two free pillows go to lisa.com iheart for an additional 50 off mattresses and select goods exclusions apply see lisa.com for more details Viking. Committed to exploring the world in comfort. Journey through the heart of Europe on an elegant Viking longship with thoughtful service, cultural enrichment, and all-inclusive fares. Discover more at Viking.com. Overwhelmed by mess in your pickup bed? Upgrade with the decked drawer system. It's completely redesigned. Accommodate more gear in larger drawers. Extend effortlessly and keep your equipment clean and dry. Secure your loads with integrated D-ring tie-downs. Optimize your truck bed space. Proudly made in the USA. Lockable and compatible with any truck from the past 20 plus years. Simple online ordering and easy installation. Visit decked.com slash iHeart for free shipping. Get decked. Truck bed storage, toolboxes, and 
and accessories.